and uh, we'll take a minute and pray for Brian. Join me as we pray. Father God, I thank you for Brian. I thank you for his heart. Thank you, Lord, what you have laid on his heart this week and these weeks before. God, I pray that you give him clarity of thought. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just move in him as he brings your word, that you would help him to remember all that he has studied and all that you have prepared for this. God, and I pray for our hearts, Lord, that you would open them. Lord, you would make them attuned to your word and you would speak to us in a powerful way. In your name, amen. Um, I, I heard from a lot of people they were angry at me because we cried together last Sunday. So I will do my best <laughs> not to make anyone cry. Uh, I can't promise because I cry a lot. But that will be my hope, okay? So don't get too angry at me. Um, I was thinking this week, what am I going to you know, try and cover? And um, I was kind of just at a loss for a long time. And so as I was uh, just reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I, I look and I, I saw... The rest of the story of God, or, uh, sorry, the rest of the story in Matthew 15, and I really thought I don't want to talk about that. Um, and then the Lord kind of just said, "Well, you've got nothing else to talk about, so go for it." So uh, I, this is—it's an interesting verse that we're going to be looking at. So uh, I'm going to read Matthew 15. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and, and read it along with me. It's Matthew 15:21 through 28. It's a really short section of Scripture, but here we go. It says. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out to us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she replied. So he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Before I jump into this, it's um, an interesting passage. Um, I want to share with you all a quick story about, about my family. I might have shared this before, but our middle daughter, our middle biological uh, child, Brielle, she was born really premature. She was born at about 27 weeks. She was like a pound seven ounces or so, a pound nine ounces. Um, and it was, it was a terrifying thing. We knew that Bree um, had some complications with Barrett, but he made it to about 38 weeks. No big deal. Um, and so with Brielle, we knew that there was some odd stuff going on. And so Bree was visiting her parents in Ohio. I had just gotten done working out. It was, I think, 9.30 on like a Saturday morning. And she gave me a call and she said, hey, uh, we think they're going to do an emergency C-section uh, sometime today or tomorrow, like, why don't you start packing your stuff so you can come and um, be here? And I said, okay. And she called me 30 minutes later. I was getting stuff together. She said, hey, the baby's coming now. They're rushing me into surgery. I've got to go by. Um, and so I was still in West Virginia when she gave birth to Brielle. Um, it was a crazy long experience. At that point, um, after Clarksburg, uh, you didn't really get cell phone service. This was like 2016. 
or so. And so there was like two hours in which I didn't know what was going on. It was a really scary time for me. But after Brielle was uh, born, everything was, was pretty good for the most part. Um, her lungs weren't fully developed. You know, a child's lungs develop, you know, in that 27 to 29 or 30 uh, week range um, to be able to be fully complete, healthy, to be able, you know, to be able to breathe in a proper way. Um, and so they sat down with us and they kind of told us, hey, um, there are these shots that your insurance won't cover that Brielle needs. She needs six of them, one every month, and they're $1,200 each. And I was like, wow, uh, we can't pay that. Um, and I don't know what to do. And at that point, you know, we were barely making anything. We had just moved here. Our budget for Young Life was like $39,000, and maybe half of that was a salary. Uh, <laughs> and so we just, we just prayed. Um, it was a really scary time in which we couldn't really do anything. We had no control. We had to rely on somebody else to be able to fix the problem for us. And it, it was scary. As a dad, someone who wants to be able to provide and protect, like my baby girl, um, I was incapable of doing that. I was also incapable of, of paying for all of that unless we wanted to take out loans. And um, throughout the six months, some, some awesome people stepped up and helped pay for individual shots. We, we were able to pay um, a, for a couple of those, pull from all of our savings. Um, but it was just a scary time. We felt really helpless. Like we were just begging God, like, please provide something because this is insane. And after the six months, they told us, hey, if, uh, if they don't fully develop your her lungs, Braille's lungs, uh, we might need to do another six months of this. Luckily, we didn't need to do that, uh, thank the Lord, because that would have been horrible. Um, I don't know how we would have paid for that um, once again. But it was incredible seeing God provide in really, really hard ways for us. Um, we just, we didn't know what was going to happen. And the reason I, I share that story with you all is we see this really interesting story. Um, it's it's very unique. Um, not often in Scripture do we see Jesus be silent. Not often in Scripture do we, do we hear, especially in the Gospels, some really uncomfortable things being said from Jesus. And as I was kind of praying about this, I, I just, I had to tackle this. It's important. We can't just skip over verses that make us really uncomfortable in Scripture. It just would not be doing God's word justice. And so we're going to jump into this and, and talk about this because I think it's really important for us to cover why is Jesus talking like this? What's the importance of this for ourselves? It matters. So I'm going to start with Matthew 15, verse 21, and just kind of go through this verse by verse and try and wrap our heads around this. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of, it's, I think, I believe it's Tyre and Sidon. I just want to recap last week. We talked um, about the Pharisees going on a really long journey to meet Jesus. Jesus had just fed a ton of people, and they were angry because Jesus didn't follow their customary laws about washing hands. Jesus just fed people, and so they were furious. And so they got in a big debate about this. And we, fought, we talked about uh, the heart issue of Israel's leaders, right? They cared more about sacrificing things and looking good in the environment that they were in than about having mercy for people. And so we're going to look at this story as well from our modern kind of eyes, and I believe it does make me uncomfortable. And I don't think 
I, I think we should be uncomfortable. I'll say that. This story kind of confronts us with our own sin, our own prejudice, our own maybe self-righteous way of looking at things from our perspective and our own desire to do what we think is good rather than what God does, which is kind of the, the heart issue that we see in Genesis 3, people doing what they think is right rather than obeying God's commands. And so we see Jesus withdraws to this region, and they are the furthest points in Jesus' ministry. Okay, this is the first, furthest point. If you have a map, yeah, can you throw that map on there? So this is the furthest point. You can see at the very top. Um, you can see the little uh, lake where Jesus crossed the sea. And then he, he has an interaction with the Pharisees, kind of on that left side where you see the, the beginning of that red line. And the, Jesus travels all the way up there. Um, it's about 25 miles from that lake to Tyre, and then about another 25 miles from Tyre to Sidon, okay? So this is a long journey. This would have taken, I don't know, maybe a month or so. And it's peculiar because Jesus doesn't really do any ministry here that's recorded in the Gospels. He travels to this region, and we only really have one story or so about Jesus meeting this woman. It kind of makes us think about why did Jesus even travel up there? If Jesus was trying to do all this ministry, if Jesus was trying to meet all these people, why would Jesus travel all the way up there? But Jesus does. And so we see Matthew 15, verses 22, it says this, a Canaanite woman came from that vicinity, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, if you, we've talked about this before, but a Canaanite woman is kind of a double whammy of somebody the Jews don't like. Women didn't have a great position in the Jewish culture, but this is a Canaanite woman. Canaanites and Jews hated each other. Not like a football rival, rivalry, but kind of like uh, a civil war. We want to kill each other. I mean, genuinely. God commanded in the Old Testament for the Israelites to kill all the Canaanites. Israel didn't, and that's one of the reasons Israel was sent away into Babylon, into exile. It, it's just one of those things. These people literally, they hated each other. And so why Jesus goes to this area, it's kind of baffling, but this is the area it was supposed to be in the original promised land, okay? And Israel never followed God's commandment and never actually did it. So this woman comes to Jesus and they begin interacting, and it's, it's unique. The woman is asking Jesus for mercy, right? We talked about that last week. God desires mercy. This woman is asking Jesus for mercy, but she's asking for mercy on behalf of her daughter. It's not on behalf of herself. It's her daughter. I think we quickly forget that every cross that we are called to bear is a message, a message from God. Its intent is not to do us evil, but to do us good. Trials are intended, much like this trial the woman's about to face, to make us think, to make us take ourselves away from this world and take ourselves 
into Scripture to drive us to pray. And I think that's the heart of this interaction. She approaches Jesus, and, and what does she say? She says, Lord, which is a unique thing for a Canaanite to call a Jew. I mean, it would probably be some other word uh, that I won't say from up here. Uh, they would probably yell at each other uh, vulgar words, you know, that they just didn't cross those boundaries. And if they did, they would probably be looking for trouble. And so it's interesting. She, she approaches him, and she says, Lord. And then after that, she says, Son of David. This was a unique, specific, messianic title that you would call somebody only from the bloodline of David that you might think, or that they would have thought, maybe this is the Messiah we're waiting for. But the Canaanites weren't waiting for that Messiah. They were waiting for someone else to destroy the Jews. So for some reason, this woman is a Canaanite following Yahweh in a foreign place, and her daughter is demon-possessed. I mean... She probably didn't have many options. Maybe she took this person to a doctor. Maybe she took them to maybe some other idols to see if those gods could take care of the situation. But all we know is she hears about Jesus and she comes to him. And she knows in her mind, this guy, there is something unique about him. Jesus travels potentially 50 miles. We don't know, but for this single interaction. That's pretty wild. But that's the God we serve. I think it's incredible um, that even the furthest reaches of the world, like there are people that still recognize Jesus. His disciples are ba- they're about to be baffled. They're about to be so confused. But even in the furthest reaches of this world, there are people that God is calling to himself. And I think that's important for us to recognize as a church. Now, I don't want to jump the gun too quickly, but this story should give us hope in telling people about Jesus. I don't want to just start applying the story to ourselves. It's important to, to first flush out what the story is actually telling us. But if there was a place that Jesus' disciples ever thought there is no way anyone believed in Yahweh, let alone Jesus, this was the place. But God is constantly calling those God is calling. He is ordaining moments of salvation, and God's desire is always to apply the work of Christ to these people, justifying and renewing the world. And we get to participate in that. So, we're going to move on. Matthew 15, verse 23. It says this, Jesus didn't answer a word. Why? I don't know. But he doesn't answer. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. It's so unique. We only see Jesus remain quiet a a few times in scripture. I can think of the one time um, the Pharisees are interacting with him when they want to stone this woman and Jesus, instead of Really answering them, he bends down and starts writing in the, in the sand. Jesus remains quiet, and then people start dropping their stones and walking away. But here, we see Jesus just remain quiet. I don't know if he's thinking, I want to see what my disciples do, or I want to see what her reaction is. All we know is he remains quiet. 
In my house, whenever I hear things happening, like my kids playing, this happened uh, last week. My kids got like this goodie bag of things, and uh, in that goodie bag was like these stamps, like to, you know, to put on paper, these cute little stamps, and they were like Halloween um, things. And anyways, uh, I heard them playing upstairs. They had their goodie bag upstairs. They were laughing, and, all, and then everything got quiet. <laughs> and it was quiet for like two minutes. <laughs> and I knew, I was like, that is never good. <laughs> Whenever kids are playing and it gets quiet, two things happen. One, someone got really hurt. Or two, they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And so <laughs> I go upstairs, and they were just stamping each other everywhere. I mean, literally, <laughs> their entire face and arms were covered in stamps. <laughs> and we kind of get that feeling here, like, what is about to happen? Something's about to happen. But I kind of feel awkward in it. And we see his disciples are bothered. They want to just get rid of her. Like, they're probably uncomfortable in this place. They know that they should not be interacting with this woman. They probably don't want to be interacting with this woman. She's coming, and she's screaming at them, and they're thinking maybe this is going to draw a larger crowd of people that they don't want to interact with. And so they come to Jesus, and they're like, get rid of this woman. We don't know if that means just heal her and send her on her way so we don't have to deal with her, or we don't want to deal with her, so send her away. But one of those two things is going on. Either way, we, we know the disciples do not want to deal with her. They're bothered. And as God's people, we never do that, right? Uh, <laughs> I think we do that all the time. And it goes on and it says this in Matthew 15, 24 through 25. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't like that. And then he says this, and then it says this, the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. I don't, I don't like Jesus' response to her. Anyone else feel really comfortable? Like, yeah, that's a good thing to say. No, I don't, I don't like Jesus' response to her. That makes me uncomfortable. So I want to ask you a question, and you can answer. If Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, then why was he so far away? from the lost sheep of Israel. You can think about that for, for a second, but I want us to interact here a little bit. If Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, then why was he so far away from Israel? Any thoughts? Yeah, he was being led by the Spirit, absolutely. There was a divine appointment, 100%. <laughs> Any other thoughts?
think that's a great possibility. This was a, a foreshadowing of, of Jesus breaking those boundaries and, and going towards people that, that aren't just Israel, 100%. That's kind of a reason why we're all sitting here today. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely would have broken down or at least completely confused the disciples. I mean, I, I think that's, that's also another part of these three things that we've been talking about. Um, this would have broken down or at least confused the disciples' understanding of who the Messiah was and who he was going for. Um, this woman was not in their category of who God loved, and Jesus was for sure trying to break those barriers down. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure they got it, but I do have such intimate um, conversations with women yeah. in the Bible, and and just showing His love for them in such unique ways. So yeah, absolutely. Matthew, he's I mean he's writing the story for a very specific reason. You know, this is a Canaanite woman that that broke down people's understanding of. Why is that in here? Uh, this would have confused people. And Matthew is probably the most Jewish gospel that we have. Um, 100%. God is trying to do that. Yeah. I think it's also about like how strong the faith was. Mm. Because if you come to him, if you call him son of David, he already has faith, right? Yes, 100%. And the other same time where he goes outside of the region with the Roman centurion, mm-hmm. who came and asked him to go serve him. Yeah. Absolutely. And they were both asking on behalf of somebody else. Their faith was incredible. That, yes, absolutely. Um, Jesus is recognizing her faith, and that's, that's completely, we're about to, to look and, and see that this is a large part of this. They both have faith on behalf of somebody else, but her faith was, is, is great. I love that. I mean, the story of Scripture, we, we see Genesis, in Genesis 3, um, 16 and, and 17, um, God had Adam and Eve, right? And they are waiting for the seed of the woman who's going to strike the snake. But the snake's not going to just die. It's going to bite the heel of the Savior, right? We're, we're waiting for that. That's all of Scripture. We're waiting for that one person. We see Abraham. He's called into what is going to be God's family. It's him, but it's what? It's going to be a blessing to all nations. That's always the promise of Scripture. The called people are going to be a blessing to all nations. We see God calling people calling Jacob and turning him into Israel, that he would be a blessing to all nations. That is what we're seeing here is this Jesus breaking down this framework of who does God really love? Who is God capable of loving? And for them, this was not that person. Even though, it, I mean, it's, it's all over the place in Scripture. But do you, I, I love this. Her, her response to Jesus. Jesus, he essentially says, hey, you're not, you're not who I came for. But I don't think he was being evil towards her. I don't think he was trying to cut her out. I think he was trying to see, what is her response to me? 
When faced with a difficult answer, what is, what is your response? And she says, she kneels down first. She kneels in the, in the dirt. And she says, Lord, help me. She's desperate. I mean, she knows her position. She knows that there's no one who can cure her daughter. There's no one that Satan listens to except Jesus. She knows that there's nothing else. She is desperate, and she acknowledges this is the guy. This is it. And so she kneels before Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. And the story continues in Matthew 15, 26 through 27. He replies with another thing that I don't like. Are you catching the theme here? I don't like, I don't like any of this. This makes me uncomfortable. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In Israel, they called the Canaanites dogs. And that was not a nice term. <laughs> that was just the term. They were just dogs. They were disgusting. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I read that, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, why, why don't you take another shot at that, buddy? Like, that conversation I don't really like. <laughs> um, that was a little untactful. Maybe we could clean up some of the, you know, the language that you use there. But I think the point, it, it is to make us feel uncomfortable. I think it was to make the disciples feel uncomfortable. I think it was to make her un- feel uncomfortable. Is the God that loves her, is he trying to turn her away? I don't think so. But I love her response. She says, no, it actually is. Jesus, is it right to take those breadcrumbs that's made for Israel and to throw them to the dogs? Which is, which is us in this story. And she says, no, it, it actually is right. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She understands her position in this story. She understands that, hey, I I get it. I'm not a Jew. I'm not the chosen people of God within this framework. I, I get the Messiah isn't really coming for me. But I know that you're you're a God that's gonna love everybody. And so I I am gonna be in this framework. Jesus, you've got to be who you say you are. Her response is incredible. I think if God shot me down like three times, I'd be like, all right, (laughs) I'll go go do something else. But she's like, no, you're wrong, Jesus, which I don't know if I've ever said, I've probably said that to Jesus a few times. (laughs) Like, hey, no, you don't, but the woman, I mean, she looks at Jesus and says, you're wrong. That's incredible. And then Jesus looks, I mean, he says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I mean, this is, this is incredible. I, I love this. This is something that I like. <laughs> it's the only thing I like about this story. Jesus looks at her, yeah, this is what I want. I want your faith. I'm trying to see your faith come out. I've been here waiting to see what, are you just going to walk away? Or, or am I going to see something beautiful and we see something beautiful? And there's two things I want us to know. Number one, it, God is not trying to like catch her 
or catch us in some sort of maze of confusion. This isn't a trial to get out of his own goodness. That would make him kind of like a cruel child that a lot of people think God is. He's just playing with humanity. He's just playing with us. I've thought that before. Like, God, why don't you change this? Are you, just, are you just playing with my life? Do you not even care? I've felt that way. But in this, Jesus is good, and he is looking for her faith. He's trying to draw it out of her. She's been in a place where nobody has accepted her faith. Nobody's probably told her, hey, good job. Uh, you're looking for the Jewish Messiah. They, the Canaanites, they were disgusted by that. But this is Jesus calling that faith out of her. And this also, the second, this conversation, it got to the heart of what she believed. And it should be the heart of what we believe, that Jesus never sends those who have faith away completely empty. He doesn't send her away empty. The people who walk away from Jesus empty are the people who walk away from, from Jesus empty. I think about the rich young ruler who head is hung, or I'm sorry, his, his head is hung low and he walks away because he had great wealth. Jesus didn't send him away empty. He walked away himself. In, uh, in college, I, I had this, I, I might have shared this story as well. I, I don't know what stories, stories I've shared or not. I had this, um, I had an English class and for some reason, the teacher who taught it was a philosophy teacher. She had her PhD in philosophy. How those two things go together, I have no clue. I'm still baffled to this day. But she was a PhD philosophy teacher teaching English. And she had us read these stories. And at the end of these stories, she would ask us, so what does this really mean? It's like, I don't, I don't know. A dude went on a journey. I think it's about a dude who goes on a journey. And she would go on this like big long thing about how this rock meant this and how this lake meant that and how he was trying to get over the, you know, and I was like, I just thought the story meant the story. <laughs> All of us were kind of looking around as our freshman year. Uh, we just had no clue. This, doesn't the story just mean the story? And so I think sometimes we think about God as like, maybe, maybe he's just twisting things around. Maybe what? What is he trying to do? But God isn't just cruel. He's trying to find this woman's faith and persistence. And I don't know where all of you are at. I know where I'm at. And it's good to recognize that God is looking for my faith and my persistence in my walk with Christ. Faith and persistence. Faith and persistence. That's what this woman had. And that is why her daughter was healed. Jesus wanted to have mercy on her, but he was looking for her faith and her persistence. I think that this story, it also confronts us with the gospel. After Adam and Eve fell, sin entered this world, right? And God declared that we were totally and completely unchangeably bad. Say that again. Totally and completely unchangeably bad without Jesus. That Jesus had every right at looking at this Canaanite woman and saying, nope, and walking the other way. I mean, this, the Gospels could be filled with stories of Jesus walking up to people, Jesus, would you heal me? Nope, and walking away. And God would be completely just in doing that. 
right? The gospel is we don't have any merit of earning faith, that we are totally and completely unchangeably bad. I mean, that's, it's brutal, but we walked away from God. That is our inheritance. But God looks at us and has mercy. Why didn't God just destroy us when we, when we were born? Why didn't God just destroy Adam and Eve and say, I'm just going to go and do another thing over here. I'm going to go try and, and redo this again because this just didn't work out the way I thought it would be. That would be the just thing to do. He is God. When a judge sees a criminal do something wrong, the just thing to do would be to bang the gavel and say, you're condemned. But God in his goodness substitutes himself for us. God doesn't just say, ah, I'm going to wipe the, cl- the slate clean and create a blank slate. No, someone has to pay. When Jesus was looking at this Canaanite woman, he knew he could have mercy on her because he was about to go to the cross for her. That was the end goal of his mission. When Jesus looks at us, he's able to have mercy on us because he traded places with us. Our just condemnation is to be on the cross, but instead Jesus took our place on the cross. Scripture tells us he loves us. He made a covenant with humanity because he loves us. Jesus is our substitute. That's why he could do this with this woman. And by being our substitute, he justifies us. He declares us righteous before him, before all of heaven and earth. And I love this. That is why the gospel is able to be spread to all peoples, all nations, all tongues and languages. Is because Jesus' grace and mercy, is, it's not just ending in one place. His death and work on the cross, it doesn't just stay huddled up in one little place. It's meant to be spread. If God is really willing to be able to do that, it's meant to be spread. And so, final thoughts, kind of bringing this in. I just want to challenge you all. Be like this Canaanite woman. It is in the Gospel of Matthew for a reason. It is an uncomfortable conversation between God and a woman for a reason. Because we're supposed to look. She just keeps shouting. She keeps shouting. Even though the disciples don't get it, even though the people who were supposed to get it the most don't get it, she keeps shouting and in doing so, She has an incredible conversation with God. Keep persisting, keep praying, because Scripture tells us to. The heart of this story is, be like her. Keep screaming at God. (laughs) It's okay to do that. He loves you, and even though it might not work out the way you want it to work out, God is good, and there's a reason he is taking us through those, those hardships. Keep shouting, keep persisting, And keep praying. And even though I don't like that, I want things to be done instantly, that is how God operates. His desire is to see you respond in faith because he's given you that faith to be able to persevere. And the second thing is this. 
scripture, it is necessary in your life. It's really easy to, to read this, but it's hard to understand and apply it. I've read this story probably 50 times, and I didn't like it, and so I've probably skipped over it. <laughs> and that's why I chose it today. Because we can't just pick and choose what we like from this book and say, that's good, I like that. No, what Paul tells to Timothy is all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. And there are parts in this that I don't really like, that I wish God didn't put in here, that I wish the authors that God um, inspired to write these words to us weren't in there, but they are. And therefore, we need to wrestle with it in a community. It's really easy to read by yourself, but it's impossible to apply by yourself. Stories like these are supposed to confuse us because they're supposed to point us, one, to God, please help me understand this, but also to a community of believers. If we never have questions that we're asking people, we're probably reading scripture really wrong. <laughs> I've been there. And what I can tell you is, the more you understand scripture, the harder it is to understand. It's just true. There's a reason why if you look up in a commentary, hey, what does this mean? There's probably seven different answers. And probably seven of them are wrong. <laughs> At least six. <laughs> it is meant to draw us together as a community. It's meant to do that. We need it in our lives it is God's prescription to us as a community of believers to understand who we are in him. Last thought before I wrap up, because I've got five minutes left until you all start sleeping. Um, <laughs> at Wildlife, uh, we had an event at Wildlife um, on Friday, last Friday. Um, it's, it's our middle school version of Young Life. And uh, my committee chair, Mike Jordan, not the basketball player, um, he, he had his son come in. He was visiting for Forest Fest, and he's a professional magician. He does magic for cruise lines and stuff like that. He, he lives in L.A., and he's amazing. He makes a lot of money doing it. Um, and so he said, hey, Brian, I'll, I'll donate like 20, 30 minutes for you to do, a magic, to do a few magic tricks with these kids. And I said, awesome, that'll be great. Do you think you can capture 125 middle school kids' attentions for 30 minutes? And he's like, I captured drunk 80-year-old people uh, attention. I think I could do theirs. I'm like, I don't know if that comparison works, but sure. <laughs> and so um, he's doing this great magic trick. And he starts out by giving somebody an envelope. That's the very first thing he did. He said, I need you to hold on to this. Gives the person the envelope. It has a card in it. And um, he says, you got to hold on to that. Okay. And it was, it was sealed and gave it to the person. I think he had the person pull a card, and then he sealed it and gave it to the person. <clears throat> Anyways, so he, he does these magic tricks for like 25, 30 minutes, and he's interacting with the crowd. It's great. People love it. And he, he finally does this last magic, uh, magic trick where he has um, someone write their name on a card, and he's doing all these awesome things. And um, <clears throat> he finally pulls the card, and the kids' minds are blown. It was great. And uh, everyone's like cheering. And then he said, hey, can you open that? <clears throat> And the kid's like, this? I'm like, yeah, that. Uh, and so he opens up, you know, the envelope, and in it is the same card that he just got from the kid after doing, like, a bunch of different magic tricks. And it was crazy. Kids are, like, freaking out. Their minds are blown. Everyone's, like, trying to record it. And I'm laughing along because I know 
the magician's job, he knows the start to finish. He knows what he's going to do, right? It's his job to interact with the crowd and make it a fun journey, right? Like, that's the purpose of that. That's what, like, it would be terrible if he was like, oh, that was wrong, sorry, <laughs> and leaves, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's his goal. He's trying to make this from start to finish. He's in control. He knows all the sight of hand stuff. He knows how to make it look incredible. He knows how to make it look confusing and baffling. And it's the same thing with God. He knows the start to finish. And while it's, it's not magic, God is doing what he is doing, and he knows the end game. He knows the start game. He calls us to have faith and persistence, to stick with it as we watch this thing unvelop. That's, that's our, our job. That's our goal as believers in Jesus. We might not see how this is playing into the end or the start, but we're, we're in it. And we either walk away empty or we stick with it like this woman and say, no, Jesus, please, please have mercy on me. Please help me figure this out. Please do this. Please, please give me the faith to persevere. And that is our job. God is good. And I'm telling you, stick with him, even when it's confusing, even when it's hard, even when he gives you responses that make you uncomfortable like he does to this woman. Because he will, I promise you. I've had those uncomfortable things happen to me, and I, it's okay to be angry at God. But it is our job to have faith and perseverance, knowing that what he started, he will finish, and it will be good. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you, um, God, that you traveled 50 miles on foot to meet this woman. The, the furthest reaches of what was meant to be um, Israel, what was meant to be the promised land and never was because of people's disobedience, you traveled there and you met this Canaanite woman because you had compassion on her daughter and you had compassion on her because of her faith. God, I pray that you would go to the, the furthest reaches of our lives, that you would look in our lives and call us to reach those furthest places that we don't want to go to, those furthest places that we think God can't be there, that you would call us to have mercy, that you would call us to have a vision to see a people that need to be loved. God, give us your faith and perseverance because without you, Jesus, we are totally and completely unchangeably bad. Lord, but I thank you that you traded place with us, that you justified us, that you've called us, and that you are keeping us. Lord, and I pray this in your name. Amen.